I'm Emily Hawthorne, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, our premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analyses. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. With the Eurozone being a monetary union and all of the economic disruption and panic that we saw in 2015, it's a story that you have to keep an eye on. And so any tool which will help you understand that a little bit better, um, I think is can't but be helpful for the business community. Welcome to the Stratfor podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from stratfor.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss forecasting and, more specifically, the future of European integration in a new collaboration between Stratfor analysts and Good Judgment Incorporated. At Stratfor, we employ a very specific methodology, grounded in the practice of applied geopolitics, to interpret the true significance of today's global events and develop a more accurate view of the future. The team at Good Judgment uses a quantitative approach and state-of-the-art crowdsourcing to apply numeric probability estimates to their forecasts for discrete events. In part one of the podcast, we explore how these methods differ, as well as how qualitative insight and quantitative rigor can be applied in unison to improve the forecasting process. And we'll be talking with Stratfor's Roger Baker and Good Judgment's Philip Tetlock, along with Warren Hatch. Then in part two, we'll see how we're putting this collaboration into practice as we question the future of European integration. Thanks for joining us. And here with me on the podcast, we have super forecaster Philip E. Tetlock, along with Dr. Warren Hatch, president of Good Judgment Inc. And in the studio, Roger Baker, who's our VP of Strategic Analysis here at Stratfor. Roger, Warren... Philip, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Hello. So one of the things that we all agree on is that forecasting is difficult. It's an extraordinarily convoluted process. And actually, um, our two groups, we come at it from uh, slightly different angles, but we all seek to fundamentally try and uh, forecast what will come next. What I'd like to start with is our different approaches to actually the business of, of forecasting and seeing what will come next in global affairs. Roger, would you like to start us off with the, uh, the approach we take at Stratfor when it comes to forecasting? Well, when we look at forecasting, I think a couple things that we have to think about in regards to which tools does one apply to forecast to try to foresee the direction of the future. Because some of that's going to be shaped on what's the time scale that we're looking at? What's the, the scope of the issues that we're trying to forecast? There may be some tools that are going to apply that are going to work much better for shorter timeframes or for more discrete types of questions, other tools that will work very well for longer timeframes and less defined questions. When we look at it, we start uh, in some ways from a top-down approach. We use geopolitics to help us understand the shape of the world system, how the world interacts, and how it got to be where it's at today. And from that and from the study of the past, we try to understand the various factors that are intersecting at any given moment that are working together integratively or pulling apart from each other to shape the direction of the future. And so when we're building out forecasts, we're starting with a world model that we have. 
We're looking at the past as it led up to that. We're trying to identify both the direct elements uh, that impact decision-making or changes in that trajectory in the past, as well as some of the indirect elements that play on that. Then we, uh, in some ways, will linearly play it forward, knowing that linearity is certainly not the likely path. And from that, we'll try to look at the constraints and the compulsions that may start to adjust those lines as we lean forward. So in some ways, it's very much a top-down approach from the idea that a, a study of geopolitics will give us a working model of the world. I think that's a, a very clear and um, even elegant characterization of the forecasting process. And I don't think Good Judgment, Inc. Has, um, would, would quarrel with anything you've said. Good Judgment, Inc. puts a lot of emphasis on the value of having a diversified portfolio of research tools some more qualitative, some more quantitative. And I think Good Judgment Inc. is putting particular emphasis right now on bridging the qualitative-quantitative divide, which has historically existed uh, in the forecasting community. On the one hand, you have big-picture scenario thinkers who tend to focus on long-term, open-ended sorts of outcomes, uh, the future of the Eurozone, the, the geopolitical balance in East Asia, and on the other hand, you've got these very micro uh, quantitative forecasters who focus on what's, what's the price of oil going to be next month and um, will there be a violent incident here or there or what will be the range of the next North Korean ICBM test. Uh, so you've got these different approaches. And Good Judgment, Inc. has been focusing, I, I think, somewhat successfully uh, recently on developing techniques that link the micro quantitative, narrowly defined forecasting outcomes to these more global scenario types of outcomes. So for example, you take a, a Davos style theme like fourth industrial revolution uh, driven by strong artificial intelligence will destabilize uh, white collar labor markets by 2040 or 2050 or massively destabilize those labor markets. Uh, that's one of those big open-ended sorts of scenarios. It's very hard to wrap your head around it. Um, on the other hand, you've got predictions about how many jobs in radiology or accounting will be lost to automation in the next year or two years or three years. Those are much more granular, specific, and quantitative. Now, what Good Judgment has been doing has been developing question clusters of micro-indicators that cumulatively can tip the scales of plausibility one way or the other about which scenario trajectory we're on and do so more rapidly than was previously possible. So for fourth industrial revolution, you would try to triangulate the big concept with a series of micro-indicators like um, jobs in radiology and jobs in, in accounting, um, robotic spending in U.S. exceeding $200 billion by 2018 or 2019, uh, self-driving vehicles, picking up passengers for hire in a major American city by the end of 2019, um, uh, some new triumph for one of the AlphaGo programs, and so forth. Each of those things in isolation doesn't strongly tip the scales about whether we're on a historical trajectory toward a fourth industrial revolution, Davos style. Uh, But taken together, cumulatively, they do tip the scales somewhat. Well, I think that gets to one of the, the key points and key aspects of quality forecasting is the idea that on the one hand, you can't oversimplify things down to the most narrowest. And on the other hand, you can't allow things to go so broad uh, and so wide that there really is no way to test what's going on. And some of that comes down to how we recruit, how we train for mindset, and how we really try to think about what are the 
subsets of the questions that we're asking. We use uh, the traditional tools of intelligence to apply to these broader themes and then go in and ask things. You know, If we're looking at uh, self-driving cars and the quantity of them on the road, what would be some of the elements that we would need to see into that? What are the legislative uh, and legal hurdles or opportunities? What's the physical infrastructure like? Is there a consistency in physical infrastructure that may allow this to accelerate in certain geographic locations, but slow it in other geographic locations? Are there key nodes in the world where if it expands at a certain pace, it's going to create a cost effectiveness that's going to uh, accelerate it in other parts of the world because the large corporations are going to aim on it? Or are there places where it may concentrate, but it will have minimal ripple uh, impact from there? Very reasonable. It sounds like to me that there is indeed an overlap here and there's an opportunity uh, to sort of drive collaboration, which is really what we're looking to do between Stratfor and Good Judgment Inc. to try and work out how best to harness our approaches to give the most um, accurate outcome. Well, I think there certainly is. I think sometimes people see in forecasting a false dichotomy of quantitative and qualitative, that they're somehow completely different things that they contradict each other or that they're from totally different schools or different approaches. It's hard to see, for example, a, a, quote, qualitative forecast that at some point doesn't have a lot of quantitative elements that go into it. And and it's hard to see, in many ways, a quantitative forecast uh, that didn't have certain qualitative and judgment calls made in assessing which types of uh, data points would be put into it there as well. We're, we're, we're in, the, in danger of agreeing on almost everything. Well, I think this this provides us an opportunity, though, um, as we're thinking about it, because I know that, well, both of our organizations really do see uh, a reality in the idea of forecasting. There, there appears, particularly in the realm of political risk or, or that, that general space, uh, a perception that maybe it's really not as viable, it's really not as good. I think it's based on some very narrow sets of predictions, people predicting, well, there's no way Donald Trump would win or there's no way Brexit would happen. And I think some of that comes instead from things that both of our organizations are looking at, which is how do you look and tease out or make forecasters aware of inherent biases and some of the traps of analysis and some of the traps that that fit into trying to prove yourself right rather than being willing to look for the things that falsify your theories. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought up the 2016 election because it's an interesting object lesson, I think, uh, for all in the political forecasting community. On the one hand, you had Sam Wang at Princeton with his poll aggregation techniques, putting the likelihood of a Hillary victory around 95%. You had Nate Silver throttling back and and putting it at only about a 70% probability. Virtually all of the sophisticated poll aggregators thought it was more likely than not that Hillary would win the election. So they, in, in the eyes of the public, they all look quite profoundly wrong. I mean, it's a very hard sales job when, when Nate Silver appears on one of those comedy shows after the election and he tries to explain why he thinks that a 70% probability of Hillary winning the election was probably roughly right. And if you were to rerun history 100 times, um, Hillary would probably have won about 70 70 of those. And Donald Trump would have won about 30. And we wound up in the 30% likelihood world. People hear that and they roll their eyes and say, what kind of metaphysical nonsense is this? So it's small wonder that that a prudent forecaster wants to retreat to vague verbiage forecasting and say, well, I think there's a distinct possibility Trump could win. And if Trump wins, uh, you say, huh, told you it was possible. And if he doesn't win, you say, huh, yeah, I, I just said possible. 
So I guess something I'd like to zero in on here is really expressing the value of forecasting for our audience, because it seems almost people have gotten to a place where they look at something like the weather forecast and go, ah, they get it right some of the time, but arguably it's a, to- a coin toss. Whereas even in you know, meteorology, there's a lot you look at that it helps you come up with your deductions and your conclusions. Whereas actually in the realm that we're in, with the amount of data we have to crunch and the sort of the specificity with which we look at some of the information, how we process it, um, how do we express this in, in a value that is actionable for, for our respective audiences? Well, I think from the Stratfor point of view, where we try to come at this is from the idea, I mean, it's from the name of the company, from strategic forecasting. It's in some ways trying to predict the flow of future history. What are the broader trends that are going to be shaping the space for decision makers to act within? almost more than trying to predict what is the specific choice they're going to make at any given moment, because that really does often come down to the vagaries of the individual. How well it plays out may be shaped by these much broader forces to a greater degree than the ultimate decision that they choose to make. And so we do try to come at it from that perspective, but that also, I think, will help people particularly at a time when you have so much information coming and so much information coming in isolated or narrow channels where all of the information is presented as if it's all equal and yet all of it is either contradictory or there just seems to be too much information there. Being able to have that world model and try to be able to tease out, okay, it's easy to tease out what's unimportant versus what's important. Well-thought individuals can do that. But how do we find what's significant versus what's merely important and at least ease us into that space? And and if we can give people even a slightly higher chance of confidence of understanding the direction of the future, they can make better preparations. And I know I've slipped into some vague verbiage there, but I'll let my uh, uh, cohorts on the other side of the line uh, uh, retort. Well, I think it was. It may have been Aristotle, it may have been Einstein, I'm not sure who, who but uh, some very wise person in the past said something along the lines of, seek precision insofar as the nature of the subject permits. So I think we're in fundamental agreement on that as, a, as an axiom from which to proceed. We don't really know ex ante how useful it's going to be to try to quantify our probability judgments. So the position of good judgment is it's, 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 it's a good idea to try. And, and, and see what happens and see what we can learn. I think it's interesting that if you visit the Federal Reserve, for example, you find a vast number of very skilled econometricians there who are cranking out all sorts of forecasts and scenarios for um, the interdependencies among the economies, lots of quantitative estimates, lots of probabilities. Yet when you listen to the chairman of the Federal Reserve, you are bombarded by vague verbiage uh, because obviously the Federal Reserve believes that the world is not ready for precise quantitative probability estimates. It hinges on the, on the sophistication of the client. I think some clients are ready for precise probability estimates and they, they, they and make, make, a, make a good faith effort to try to combine the strengths of qualitative and quantitative. Other clients are going to be less intellectually mature and they're going to jump up and down and get really upset when Nate Silver says there's a 70% likelihood of Hillary winning and, and, and Hillary loses they're going to say Nate Silver doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. But Nate Silver, it turns out, is a pretty well-calibrated forecaster. Just one thought to pick up on what was uh, just said is how to convey the importance of a numerical probability estimate about an event such as we've been discussing. And a forecast in isolation is not terribly meaningful. Where, where it begins to gain meaning is when you can see the track record of those who are making that probability estimate. 
And this is what the super forecasters, a good judgment, have also been very skilled at doing through a lot of experience, a lot of feedback, and having a track record. But anyone who's using a probability estimate about some consequential event, we can observe what their track record is. That's the key for it to gain meaning is we observe the track record and see if the estimate they provide matches up with the reality that then follows. I'll add on to that in saying that it's very important, whatever method one uses in forecasting, that they're very open and honest in showing their past examples, in showing their success rate. It's something we've done from the start here at Stratfor, where we decided at the beginning, uh, if we make mistakes, we're going to admit to them. And when we make a forecast, we're going to make a singular forecast. We're not going to give the three or four or five possibilities We'll stick our neck out on the line on the one that we think is the most likely direction and then be the first to admit when we're in error and use that to constantly improve our back-end capability of making better and better forecasts as we go. And so there's quite a bit of interest here in looking at all of these other tools that we can use to help improve various aspects of our forecasting process. Insofar as Stratfor is willing to go down that path and, um, as you say, stick its neck out, um, insofar as, as Stratfor is doing that, I, 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 I strongly commend you. I think a lot of organizations have a hard time doing that. There is a, there's a paradox here, and that is um, what keeps you politically safe in many organizations is to stick with vague verbiage uh, that straddles both sides of maybe. Convenient phrases like distinct possibility uh, that can be interpreted ex post at your convenience. So that keeps you politically safe, but it also makes it impossible for you to become well calibrated. It makes it impossible for you to do what former chief, chief risk officer at um, at a major head fund once called um, you know, distinguishing 40-60 bets from 60-40 bets. And the key for all of us is how do we continue to improve and make this uh, much more useful for the consumer that they're able to understand just what the forecasts are telling them and how to help to integrate that into their day-to-day right. decision. And if you're talking to Goldman Sachs, it's one thing. If you're talking to certain other entities, it's another. And I'm actually really excited uh, to talk further about some of the specific collaboration that we've done, um, looking at some specific events in the world. Uh, I guess that's all we've got time for for now, but I'd really like to say a, a big thank you to Philip and Warren for joining us on the podcast today, and also to Roger um, for coming in from Stratfor. Uh, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Me. Thank you. In the second part of the podcast, we go more in-depth on this new collaboration and how we're leveraging Stratfor's qualitative insight and Good Judgment's quantitative methodology to ask focused questions about the future of European integration. If you'd like to read Stratfor's standing forecasts on the future of the European Union, we'll include links to our annual and decade forecasts in the show notes. If you're not already a Stratfor Worldview member, you can learn more about individual, team, and enterprise access at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Now to our conversation about the future of European integration with Stratfor senior analyst Mark Fleming-Williams and Good Judgment's Warren Hatch. Mark, Warren, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Now, in our first conversation about the collaborative project we did between Good Judgment and Stratfor, uh, Roger Baker and Philip Tetlock talked a little bit about the different approaches to forecasting. What I'd like to talk about now is uh, the actual project itself that we collaborated on and the ways in which uh, we brought our different forecasting talents to bear on it. So real quick, what exactly are we looking at in this, uh, this joint project? What we're launching is a brand new 
Future of Europe Index. And what it is, is a, uh, a distillation of currently 17 forecast questions about the economy, politics, and other issues affecting European unity over the next year to 18 months. And what we've done is put that together into an index so that you can monitor at a glance whether the stresses are rising or falling according to the super forecasters on those sets of questions. Now, what's made it exciting to be working with Mark and your other colleagues at Stratfor is to compare notes about what are suitable questions to be forecasting to get at this bigger topic. Because that's the, that's tricky. You need to have good questions to, to have good forecasts. And I think we've ended up with a very nice, rich cross-section that people will find useful, interesting, intriguing. And this is clearly a huge issue because there's a, a massive focus on Europe at the moment. Um, Mark, from your perspective, what did we really contribute to the uh, the forecasting aspect of this? Um, Good Judgment is attempting to uh, find questions which will measure specifically in this case whether Europe is becoming more split up. Um, and that's what that's what this diffusion index is around. That's a question that we find very important as well. It's one of our one of our key themes. So Good Judgment came to us with some questions that they're already asking that they'd put to their super forecasters and and was already had ongoing uh, ongoing questions. Um, and we helped consider some of those questions because in in what Good Judgment does, choosing the right question is key. Whether it's going to give you uh, a, a relevant answer to to your overall thinking process. Um, and so we tried to specify a little bit more about what it meant for Europe to, to, to be breaking up. So for, I mean, for, for example, we had um, some of the initial questions were around whether Catalonia would, um, would secede from Spain. And that would be a, obviously a very bad thing for Spain. But there was a question about whether it would be a bad thing for Europe, um, because Catalonia quite possibly is an independent country might join Europe. And so the European Union might end up with more with more members and Catalonia might be a, an even more staunch member than Spain was. So there could be some breaking up happening within Europe, but was it a breaking up of Europe? Um, so that was our that was our first key concern. And then another one was um, was more around a slightly fiddly business around, you know, whether Russia were to become more aggressive on, on Europe's eastern border and maybe um, you know, in an extreme scenario, if, if Russia were to invade somewhere like Estonia, which is a member of Europe, then would that be seen as a breakup of Europe? Um, and it was that was an interesting it's an interesting question. And, and, and we came back and we're, we're thinking it through because actually what we have seen in terms of when Russia um, became more involved in Ukraine and, and there was the there was the, the, the European sanctions as a result of Russian activity in Ukraine. We actually saw more European cohesion as a result of, of, of Russian aggression. It's, it's one of the things which actually has been able to bring the rest of Europe together. Um, Angela Merkel was able to corral European states in order to kind of um, see off the Russian threat. So, um, again, at first glance, it looks like it's, it's kind of disintegration of Europe. Or, um, but uh, when we looked a little bit deeper, then perhaps that, that wasn't such a, such a fitting question for, for the broader. So we provided a little bit more context and a little bit more help in, in, in choosing the questions, which would help answer the overall question of, um, is Europe facing some kind of um, disintegration? Maybe I can just amplify a little bit on what Mark just said, because I, I think that Catalonia in particular is a really nice case study for our different approaches um, and how they can be usefully combined, as we've done here, I think. And uh, so the way Mark set that 
up with Catalonia that, well, if Catalonia was successful in seceding, would that lead to greater European integration or less? And from our point of view, that's a different question, really. Uh, question number one, does Catalonia secede? And for most of the or does it have an independence referendum? That's really all we were asking at the time. It, 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 at the time, I think it's a, it's a safe proposition that most commentators saw that as a negative with respect to European unity. Now, it's just one question in the index. You may have different views, hopefully, across the index as a whole. Uh, it balances out enough that the signal is still reliable, even if you may have a different interpretation of one or two questions. But in the case of Catalonia, then, uh, that's part one. Part two is what it means from there. It's a conditional question in our parlance. So it would have been interesting to have posed a question that uh, got to European unity if Catalonia had an independence referendum versus if Catalonia did not. And from a super forecaster point of view, what you can do is observe the spread, right? So uh, you can see whether Catalonia's independence referendum would be impactful from a forecasting point of view on that other specific event. Now, we didn't do that in that case, but it's the sort of thing that we want to be building into the index, uh, hopefully with Stratfor's uh, input uh, for future questions as well. So this seems like a huge amount of data to actually uh, track and comprehend and then ultimately share, because it seems to be that asking the right questions is part of it, but then also you have myriad responses that are all going to flow into each other. How do we actually make sense of all this data? And then and how do we actually use it to make meaningful uh, deductions about the future? The advantage of an index is that you can summarize a lot of information at a glance and then drill down into it to get whatever level of detail interests you. So if you're, if you're just concerned about whether Europe's near-term outlook is, is looking a bit more favorable to unity or less favorable to unity because you've got portfolio positions or you're going to be making a business investment or you're uh, uh, just need to know for whatever purpose you might have, you can use this as a straightforward, simple indicator to let you know, can you sleep uh, soundly at night? You can look at it and say, okay, well, things seem to be kind of going along. There are all these scary headlines, but it really doesn't matter too much on the near-term outlook. Or alternatively, oh, there's something subtle that may have emerged and I wasn't uh, focused on it. This will help me find what I need to focus on to, to drill into it. So what you can do is see the index. It goes, say, up significantly. Okay, well, what's driving that? You can go in and see what the individual questions are that are helping support greater unity or the other way around. So we obviously have slightly different approaches to, to forecasting and the way we, uh, we tackle certain issues. Um, was there anything uh, when it came to collaborating that surprised either of you, Mark or Warren, in terms of a differing approach to the way you normally do business? I think we've got very um, different approaches. I, I think it's just a it's just a different way of you know approaching approaching the world um, because um, our, we very much have an ongoing model. Um, we have forecasts which run kind of um, well, we've got the decade forecast and then we've got the annual forecast and then we've got the quarterly forecast. So we've got a picture of an established since the foundation of Stratfor um, view of the world, which we are constantly updating and, and keeping going and tweaking and playing into as, as we go along. So um, 
it's a different approach, whereas um, good judgment is very much trying to find specific questions which will give the answer. We are instead looking at the whole world and extracting the answers from the overall model. So it's a, it's a different way of going about the same problem. And, and where it comes together, I think, is so we're very agnostic about the world, but we're very uh, quantitative about trying to understand specific events. And where it can come together is Stratfor does have a model of the world. This generates a lot of good questions. And a lot of these questions can be forecast, right? And it can also be a source of, well, if, if this model is, uh, is unfolding in this particular way, there's certain things we should expect to see consistent with that model. And that's where we can create forecast questions. And we can also add in questions that maybe question whether that model is unfolding in that way or not. And then we can generate an, an interesting rich mix of forecast questions that let us monitor and see whether the world is moving in that direction at the moment or not. Now, just because it may be moving in that direction over the next year or so doesn't guarantee by any means that that's the way it's moving over the next decade. And that's where skillful analysts certainly come in to connect those dots and help tell that richer story that uh, combines what may be happening in the near term, which is the, uh, the forecasting horizon of, say, the next three months to two years where super forecasters excel uh, with the longer term perspective that Stratfor brings that can go well beyond that. I think it's a really powerful mix because um, everyone we encounter, everyone has a, uh, shall I say, more than a passing interest in, in what will happen next, what will play out in the future. And one of the things I know we both focus on is making this uh, information actionable. What is the the real value of this combined effort? Um, for example, the business sector, if you work in, say, manufacturing or finance, um, how can you actually use these forecasts to to help you with your long-term business projections? Well, one way is say you're a portfolio manager with a large currency exposure in Europe. And uh, in your view, a stronger European Union would be impactful on the value of your euro position. This is a way to monitor how concerned you should be about your position. It is also a way to identify potential early opportunities if the trends begin to move in a different direction. Um, it's also a way if you're, for instance, making a decision to invest in Europe, uh, is this a good time to do that or not and help you focus on the things you need to focus on. Mark, anything from your perspective? As Warren says, um, Europe is obviously a uh, it's the it's the um, one of the three big economic hubs in the world at the moment. Uh, we've seen crises um, in the last we've seen a lot of crises in the last uh, five to ten years, and they strongly affect the markets. And anyone who is considering making investment in Europe, or considering holding a euro, or you know holding any other currency, to be honest, because the euro is such an important um, part of the currency markets, it's all about. Whether with the with the eurozone being a monetary union and all the disruption that can come from even the smallest one of the smaller players like Greece leaving all of the economic disruption and panic that we saw in 2015, it's a story that you have to keep an eye on. Um, and so, any tool which will help you understand that a little bit better um, and uh, gain a, a more insight into 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 answering that question, um, I think is can't but be helpful for for the business community. 
Well, I think that's actually an excellent place to wrap up because thanks to this collaboration, we've offered a uh, an important new tool to actually help uh, not only businesses, but informal individuals and even governments deduce perhaps some of the, the, the future trajectory of Europe itself. How do people, I guess, get involved in forecasting at a grassroots level? If people wanted to contribute to the conversation or perhaps uh, share predictions they've made of their own, uh, is there an avenue to do this in any way? Absolutely. Um, here are a few that I think would be really interesting for people who are interested in developing their own forecasting skills. One is, I believe that we're going to be having a forum discussion with Strat4 analysts and some super forecasters to talk about forecasting, tackle some specific questions, and generally compare notes. Another way is to go to the Good Judgment Open, which is our public forecasting site. Try their hand. There's a rich mix of questions there. You can uh, make your forecasts. Once they close, you will get feedback. You will get scores. It's also the funnel for our future super forecasters. Uh, in fact, just uh, this, 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 this last few months, uh, we brought in a, a class of 2018 super forecasters to our professional ranks. And the third thing is brand new. So if you missed a chance to be a super forecaster in the original research project, a new one is just getting underway, sponsored by IARPA, called the Hybrid Forecasting Competition. Recruitment is just underway now. It's going to be a big multi-year project, really exciting, getting at how you can combine the best of humans and machines to push the accuracy of forecasting even more. Fantastic. That sounds like an amazing opportunity and clearly something uh, we'll be interested in participating in. Uh, Mark, Warren, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Thanks very much. And that concludes this episode of the Stratfall podcast. Watch for an update on Stratfall's collaboration with Good Judgment Incorporated on our website, worldview.stratfall.com. We'll include links in the show notes to a pair of columns we published on the topic of qualitative and quantitative analysis. The numeric problem was penned by Stratfall Vice President for Strategic Analysis, Roger Baker. The numeric solution was written by Dan Gardner, who co-wrote Super Forecasting with Philip Tetlock from part one of the podcast. You can also find a complete interactive transcript of this conversation on our podcast page. That's at worldview.stratfor.com slash media slash podcasts. Worldview members can also contribute to this conversation and engage with Stratfor's analysts, editors, and contributors in our members-only forum. If you have a comment or an idea for a future episode of the podcast, email us at podcast at stratfor.com or give us a call on 1-512-744-4300, extension 3917, to leave us a message. We really appreciate your feedback. And for more geopolitical intelligence, analysis, and forecasting that reveal the underlying significance and future implications of emerging world events, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor. Stratfor.